I'm Will Baker, president of the Chesapeake Bay Foundation. Welcome to our continuing podcast series, Turning the Tide, Saving the Chesapeake Bay. And I think when you hear some of the thoughts of our guest today, Jay Fleming, Annapolis, Maryland photographer, great friend of the Chesapeake Bay Foundation, I think when you hear some of the things Jay describes about his underwater photography, you'll be inspired to look at more of it, but you'll also see that this turning the tide, saving the Chesapeake Bay is, uh, is starting to advance. Uh, there's some good news out there. So Jay, first of all, welcome. Thank you, Will. Great to have you. Uh, we've used a lot of Jay's photographs over the years, and most recently, we've been using a lot of your underwater shots. Tell us a little bit about how you got into photography, what attracts you to photographing underwater, and then, of course, I want you to talk a little bit about water clarity and some of the things you're seeing, but kind of give us a little background. So uh, I got into photography about 29 years ago, um, just that through genetics. That was the day you were born? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, my birthday's tomorrow, actually, May 26th. But uh, my dad's a professional photographer. He's been a lifelong photographer since he was in high school. That's when he started, and um, then worked for National Geographic, and now is freelance and does books and stuff, kind of similar to the route that I'm taking. But um, yeah, I, I picked up a camera my freshman year of high school. I'd always been around photography, so I kind of had you know, a little bit of an eye for it, um, just going into it. And um, as I got more serious about photography, I kind of branched away from my dad, who lives in Delaware, and started doing stuff in my home area, which I consider the whole Chesapeake Bay. and. Uh, you know, really started to photograph just things that I love, like fish, crabs, uh, the watermen, um, landscapes on the bay, and that type of stuff. You grew up here in Annapolis. You went to Broadmead. Uh, Broadneck. Broadneck, yeah. I mean, high school. And then on to St. Mary's College in Southern Maryland, St. Mary's County. So you're, you're a true bay person. Um, Absolutely. I can hear the emails coming in already from all the photographers listening. They'll want me to ask you, what sort of equipment do you shoot with? Tell us a little bit about that. So for my underwater equipment, I use uh, Nikon SLRs with um, Aquatech housings. And Aquatech housing is um, a hard epoxy um, case, basically, with an O-ring. And it's custom fit to the particular SLR that you're using. And you can use different lens ports for different lenses. Like primarily, I shoot with a fisheye lens underwater. Um, appropriately just, so yeah exactly <laughs> exactly well when you're underwater um, your focal length gets magnified by about 25 percent mm -hmm. so I have a ten and a half millimeter fisheye that turns into uh, roughly a you know 12 to 15 millimeter lens and and right away tell us where people can look at your photographs and we'll do that again at the end but so the best place to look to look for my underwater photographs are on my website, and that's Jay Fleming, that's F-L-E-M-I-N-G, J-A-Y spelled out, photography.com. Jay Fleming, just like it sounds, photography.com. Yep, Fleming right. with one M. It's a common misconception. Fleming with one, with one M. Uh, in, you, you, you shoot underwater, you shoot in the water year-round, mm -hmm. wetsuits in the winter? Yeah, wetsuits. Uh, I, don't, I don't go with a dry suit. Um, just because I'm usually not staying in too long when it's too cold. I usually try to get what I need and get out. And um, are, you, uh, are you staying down for long periods of time? Do you use? No, not really. Um, 
most of my stuff is done free diving within, you know, the top 10 feet of the water right. column. Um, really, in the bay, the water's clear, but it's not clear enough where you can go down 10 to 15 feet and lose a lot of light. When you, when you go further down underwater, you need strobes um, just because the water filters out certain colors of the light. And like if you're at the bottom of the bay in like 15 to 20 feet, which I have been, um, everything just looks kind of green. Mm-hmm. You lose your reds and you lose your, you lose your yellows and magenta colors. So. Well, your, your photographs are stunning. And I think some of the earliest photographs underwater you took are, are some of the first that I've seen published around the bay, which really are documenting a trend toward clearer water. I mean, I, I you know, I'm, I'm old <laughs> and I've been doing this a while. And I remember, you know, routinely water that six, eight inches became opaque. Um, yeah. You couldn't, you know, we do a lot of uh, testing on CBF education field trips. And one of the classic scientific tests is a measurement of how long you can see a white disc going disc. down in the water called a secchi disc. Uh, and so we're getting, and I wonder how, what you're seeing, but we're, we're seeing five, six feet routinely all around the bay. And at times, 10 feet, eight feet, north to south, east to west. Uh, even people have been remarking after all the rain we've had this spring, uh, the clarity is certainly less than it was before due to just natural um, sedimentation. But it's still pretty torn clear. I, I walk out to the end of the dock wherever I am, whenever I'm on the, around the water on boats, and you're seeing it. What, what are you seeing and what are you hearing from others? Well. Personally, I've, I've seen, you know, the same trend that you're describing. The water is definitely clear basically everywhere I've gone in the bay. And I typically do most of my underwater photography um, from the Honga River south to Cape Charles, Virginia. Mostly on the shore? Mostly on the shore, yeah. That's not to say that there isn't clear water on the western shore. But, um, you know, I've seen, like last fall was remarkable. We had a couple weeks in late October and early November with no wind. And, you know, the lack of wind allows the water a chance to settle down and the sediment kind of settles out. And I saw probably 25 to 30 feet of visibility in the Honga River, in the shallows. So you, the water clarity is typically a lot better, at least for photography, in the shallows. Um, you know, probably two to five feet of water is optimal for my underwater photography. So a little bit of natural history, Chesapeake Bay um, biology here. Certainly in winter, when the algal blooms, the blooms of algae are diminished, uh, sometimes non-existent, water clarity, even in the years where we've had the worst water quality, is better in the winter. Uh, What we had been seeing over the decades was the bad water, the the opaque uh, water, started earlier in the spring and lasted longer into the fall. So last spring, we started noticing uh, much clearer water, much longer. The summer didn't get as bad, and it started to become clear again in the fall much sooner. Mm -hmm. And now the scientists are truly documenting this. Um, But one of the great quotes I remember reading um, 
or maybe hearing on, on one of your videos was from our old friend Dwight Marshall on Smith Island. So you get out there. What, what did Dwight say? So, yeah, I was talking to Dwight. I had a uh, photography workshop on Smith Island, and I went a day early just to scout and kind of, you know, run around. And um, I just ran into dock at, or to Dwight, excuse me, at the dock in Tylerton and uh, just got talking to him, and he was talking about the water clarity. And I showed him some pictures that I had taken, and uh, he, he commented, he said, this is the clearest water that I've seen since I started working on the water. From his experience, from not his looking experience. at your photographs, but your photographs. Yeah, from his experience, him. and you know, I was showing him, and we were talking about how how great it was, basically. How did he describe it? Did he use any imagery to? Well, we were looking at oysters right next to his dock that were in like five feet of water, and you could pick them out, you know, clear as day. And uh, he didn't really have any, you know, of the Smith Island terms that you'd think to describe them, <laughs> but. Um, you know, it's, it's great to hear that from someone like Dwight, who spent so much time in the, on the water. And, you know, he spent a lot of time on the water all over the bay, really, because a lot of those Smith Islanders, they'll go crab potting down in Cape Charles, or they'll go in the Potomac to go fishing or crab potting, whatever. So he's been, he's been around. Dwight is um, uh, one of the most well-respected uh, watermen on Smith Island. Um, and he's also been a great friend of the Chesapeake Bay Foundation, Dwight and his, and his wife, Kaki. And um, his, um, his view of the Chesapeake and his uh, history is really remarkable. So to hear Dwight say, this is water that's as clear as he's seen in 50 years, um, I'll put that up against any scientist, and I'm not, I don't want to get in trouble with the scientists because they're doing great work, but Dwight has really seen it. And I think uh, you had said also that we're seeing it, crabbers are talking about seeing their pots in, in deep water as well. Yeah, I've heard of uh, some crab potters talking about how they can see their pots in 10 to 15 feet of water, now, even, you, even up here towards Annapolis. Yeah. yeah I mean, yeah. that's, you know, I wouldn't be so surprised to hear that from somewhere in Tangier Sound, like, you know, Wingate or... Uh, Smith Island or Deal Island, but up here is, you know, that's remarkable. And if they're saying it about crab pots, that means they're at a time of year when the water usually isn't as clear. Yeah. Well, it, th this is good news in, indeed, and um, what, we, what we all have to keep remembering and what the Chesapeake Bay Foundation keeps saying is that while this is good news. There's been some good news on oysters, good news on blue crabs, good news on underwater grasses. Um, the job of saving the bay is, is hardly done. And I understand you photograph a lot in other parts of the world. You've photographed in the Caribbean and Florida where you've really seen some clear water. Tell us, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so I've been diving in the Mediterranean, the Aegean, uh, Caribbean Sea, and I've seen water clarity up to 150 feet in some places. That's what we're after. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I don't think we would necessarily want that no, in Chesapeake no. Bay. But a the, little algae is good. Yeah, the absolutely. Is, yeah. The oysters have to eat. Yeah, you know, the yeah, grasses need the nutrients. But uh, a lot of those areas were kind of void of life. And, um, you know, when you're diving in the Chesapeake Bay, there's stuff everywhere. There's little grass shrimp you know, among the eelgrass beds, terrapins crawling around, horseshoe crabs, I saw a lot of them on Smith Island this weekend, and, uh, you know, eels, silver sides, rockfish, there's just an abundance of life in this water. Um, and, you know, that's... Seahorses, one sea of horses, my favorite yeah. critters they're, in the bay. They're cool, but they're hard to find. 
Um, most of the seahorses that I've heard of people catching were uh, in deeper water. You know, it's interesting. Uh, our education programs always collect samples and we mm -hmm. put them in aquariums and talk to the kids about them. Uh, there's almost a, no trip in the mid-bay that we don't get at least one seahorse, and it's always a favorite with the kids. If people haven't seen them. They're about two or three inches, sometimes yeah. four inches long, and they look just like the iconic cartoon seahorse. I, uh, they're, they're one of my favorites. Um, so you're, you're absolutely right, and it's worth repeating that the reason the bay has been so productive is because it does produce algae, and our great filter feeders like oysters and clams and menhaden are algal feeders. So we need algae in the system. The best reports of, of real water clarity going back decades are probably in the 25 to 30 foot range, which mm -hmm. is, is sort of the ideal we're all striving for. But you're absolutely right to point out that some algae is good and a lot of the Mediterranean waters and Caribbean waters, you know, are in some respects without the algae they need. Yeah. One of the things I've seen in, I think, some of your photographs are, and I, I've seen them when we pull up our oyster uh, reef balls, is really beautiful, almost Caribbean-like orange sponges. Mm -hmm. Have you seen those? I mean, yeah, the red-bearded sponge. Isn't that great? I've seen quite a bit of it in the uh, lower bay. Like from Tangier Island South, right. I did some snorkeling in uh, Nassawatics Creek, which is uh, the lower eastern shore of Virginia in um, Northampton County. But um, yeah, the red bearded sponge is really beautiful. And getting in the grass beds, that's probably always a treat. Absolutely, yeah. Um, this spring, I've seen some of the prettiest eelgrass beds that I've ever seen. Uh, you know, I haven't been diving that long. Um, you know, since 2009 is when I started doing underwater photographs, but it's some of the most beautiful grass that I've ever seen uh, anywhere. Like I've seen grass in Florida, you know, and it rivals some of the grass in the Bahamas, the turtle grass flats that I've seen. Well, Jay Fleming, I can't tell you how grateful we are for our partnership with you. What's the, what's the future hold for Jay Fleming? Are you going to, this is your career, you're going to be photographing <laughs> mm -hmm. for the rest of your life? Yeah, Any absolutely. dreams and aspirations? Um, well, I'm working on a book right now um, called Working the Water, which is almost done. I've basically finished shooting for it, but it's uh, you know documenting the uh, Chesapeake Bay seafood industry and all the people who depend upon the Ches Chesapeake Bay and the resources for their living and their way of life. And you know their businesses and you know their sustenance is directly tied to water clarity. So you know, photographing the environment and also the people who work in the environment kind of ties in nicely for me. Have you got a publisher? I'm self-publishing it. You're self-publishing? Yeah. Very good. So yeah. when can we expect to see that and how can people find it? So the book is available for pre-sale right now and October 10th around there, it'll be released. It'll be arrive from the printer. Um, right now it's available for sale online on my website. JFleming.com. Photography. JFlemingphotography.com. Yep. If people Google Jay Fleming, one M, they'll find you. Yep, absolutely. And um, just, you know, go to my shop page and you can see the book and you can see a, a preview of the book, some of the images that are going to be published. Great. Anything so. else you'd like to say? Anything else I should have asked you? Well, I think we could talk about 
how the grasses kind of filter the water and how, for me, you know, I find the clearest water in the grass because of that, you know, natural function of the grass. So I know a little bit about this. Tell us about why the grasses are filtering the water. How do they do it? So my opinion... I'm going to check you now. This is a, uh, yeah, this is a final check. exam. In my opinion, I think the grasses kind of trap sediment. Um, you know, they kind of act as a filter for the water. And, you know, if, if you're snorkeling through a grass bed, you can kind of wave your hand across some grass and you can see the algae and the sediment that the grass traps. Um, you know, when the grass is really thick, like on a low tide or later in the summer after, you know, the growing season, the grass will typically come up to the surface of the water and uh, you can just see it acts as like a natural strainer for the water. And whenever I'm, you know, shooting underwater photographs, I, I try to look for stuff like grass because of that, you know, characteristic of it. It's, uh, it, it's one of the great natural assets of the Chesapeake Bay, and um, you're, you, you're, you're right on in all of what you said. Other benefits of the grass beds, they reoxygenate the water. Mm -hmm. They provide great cover for juvenile fish, for blue crabs when they're soft crabs. They um, uh, provide a, a buffer to wave action, to, so they uh, help dampen the effects of erosion from waves and on and on and on. It's Definitely. one of the great, uh, great indicators of a healthy system is when the grass beds start to come back as they are now. Yeah, and grasses are, to me, they're very similar to oysters and what they can do for the environment, not only habitat, but filtering water as well. Well, Jay Fleming, again, thanks so much. Um, for those of our listeners who are my age or even close to it, uh, to be 29, to be an underwater photographer, to be working on the Chesapeake Bay and around the world. Uh, what a great time you must be having. Uh, I'm envious and uh, look forward to following your career. So Jay, thanks so much for joining us today. You're welcome. Thank you, Will. For Will Baker and the Chesapeake Bay Foundation, this is our every two-week podcast series, Turning the Tide, Saving the Chesapeake Bay. Thanks for listening. <laughs>